Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode I'll be speaking to drummer Chris Polglaze about the physical challenges he faces as a drummer and how he manages them. We'll also hear from physiotherapist Sarah Upjohn, but first let's hear from Chris. I've drummed all over the world with a lot of mainly jungle drum and bass acts, but I've worked with people like London Electricity, Nicky Black Market, a guy called Gerald, High Contrast, Beardy Man, Finley Quay, Cold Cut, Ninja Tunes, The Scratch Perverts. I was doing pretty well until a few years ago when I had a lot of things kind of happen with life and then I got pains in my hands. So since that point and working with those people now I'm, I'm trying to do my my own thing and i've started my own project called extinction point i'm just actually at the moment getting some demand to do jungle drum and bass shows again so could you tell me a bit about the physical problems you were talking about there when i was younger i had problems you know i used to just do a lot of drugs and drink and you know smoke and not really look after my body a few years ago i had a sort of grandiose idea that I could like come off drugs and I tried to just sort of come away from club music and I wanted to come off drugs and just sort of sort my mental space out and myself out it kind of with the right intentions didn't really um, go that way until I went through a really long process I started having a lot of mental issues but also I started to get pain in my left hand the NHS, they did actually misdiagnose a break in my left hand. I was in a lot of pain and then I started getting pains in my left thumb and my right thumb and it got really, really bad. I also got told by a lot of practitioners that I might have to give up and I might not ever drum again. When I drum in clubs and I was drumming to drum and bass music at say 184, 187 beats per minute, that would equate to over 11,000 hits an hour. So, you know, I would be hitting a drum once when my hands were bad and my, my hands would hurt when I'd hit a drum once and I had to reevaluate everything. Also, when that was happening, some people that I was close to, like, passed away. My closest kind of friend got really sick. I had a complete breakdown in a way. It took me two and a half years to get through to the other side. I also had thermoplastic splints. I was men aware in bed for the rest of my life. Edema, which is unnatural inflammation in both of my wrists. I couldn't put my jacket on. I couldn't cut food. It hurt to turn the key in the door when I would try and open a door. Everything was just a struggle. You know, it was a really, really difficult time. So you mentioned about how your left and right thumbs are proving difficult when you're playing. So was there the initial break and then the other problems that came from playing? The arthritis came from actually poor technique, if I'm being honest, because it was another part of the process because I actually remember calling a couple of my friends up at four o'clock in the morning because I was kind of celebrating because I realised that the arthritis in my thumbs, osteoarthritis, I had got that from just overuse. The way I used to drum, I just used to kind of smash the drums and just drum as hard as I could and as fast as I could. And I wasn't really being mindful and thinking about it. So that created really bad thumb pain. And I was also had points in the past where I got very stressed. My fingers hurt and my wrists would hurt. 
I had had warnings in the past and obviously I think when you're younger you're maybe just a bit more durable. Basically I got bike wrap which widens the grip on the stick so it means you're using you know your hands and fingers less. When I'm drumming correctly I've now managed to move the stick to the opposite side of my injuries so the impact of the stick isn't hitting on the base of the thumb anymore. When I lived in Oxford, and there's an amazing guy there called Kelston Chorley that's done osteopathy since maybe the 60s or 70s and a lot of Olympic athletes. And sometimes I was seeing him and I was actually, I didn't realise at the time, but I was drumming with broken hands. I did a few shows with broken hands and he actually enabled me to do that. But I also knew a great osteopath in London that helped me a lot when I was in a really dark place called Paul Manley. And the thing is, when I started going to hot yoga, the owner, Michelle, heard that I wasn't drumming. My girlfriend at the time knew someone that worked there. And I learned like so much before I even did like a hot yoga session with Michelle. If you have bad posture, the heat enables you to stretch further. And basically, if you have injuries and you go to a good teacher that knows about injury prevention, the hot yoga enables you to empower yourself by fixing yourself. And then what it does, if you do have injuries, it strengthens the muscle groups around muscles that are already injured. So I met the owner and after doing like 20 years of therapy, it was like a turning point because... As a like person that's had addictions, sometimes I would like move from place to place trying to escape myself and escape my mind. And she sort of said to me, like, look, it doesn't really work like that. If you like exercised and put in work to your body, then you would start to think better because you feel better. And I know that might sound obvious, but to me at that point, that was like a revelation. I had a chat to Michelle for like a couple of hours and then we did a couple of hours of hot yoga and then after not drumming for two and a half years and hitting a pad once and being in pain and, and, and also thinking I might not be able to drum ever again, I ran to my friends and said, you know, I feel you know, amazing. I've, I've never felt like this. And then I ran home and I went on a drum pad and I hit the pad and my hands didn't hurt. And then the next day I went and drummed and I remember drumming for like 90 minutes to jungle and hitting the drums really hard. And it was literally, I think, the most surreal moment in, in my life. And I just remember running home and a friend coming over and he was like, you know, are you all right? Because I was literally just crying my eyes out with relief. It was really surreal. So did you see a marked difference after you were injured in terms of how you were feeling mentally? I take medication. I'd like not to take it. But the yoga is a, is a massively like powerful thing for me because if I do have slips, which is possible, you know, when you're a performer, you can have highs and lows and it's like I think some people don't understand that sometimes because what you do what you love it still doesn't make it an easy thing just because you do what you love it can be even harder when you're not feeling good even when I'm you know unable to move or I have low moments or I can get twinges in my hands just knowing that I can go to hot yoga and that that is still there and that can make me feel better is still a massive thing actually in my life. Apart from hot yoga, what else do you do to look after your musculoskeletal health more generally? 
I try and like meditate and I think that is like a powerful tool. You know, now it's kind of interesting because this weekend I sort of celebrated, you know, a real close friend had a big celebration and I had a good time. And I think you need to get a balance sometimes because if you're a perfectionist musician, you know, you can't always be perfect. For me, it's a simple thing. If I'm healthy, I can do what I love. And if I'm not healthy and go back to the musician that I used to be, I won't be able to do what I love. So I try and eat well. I've gone like vegan. I try and take supplements like most days. I try and do things, you know, that are good for my health and they're good for my mind because everything really is interconnected. You know, I was pretty lucky. I knew an amazing person at Bapam called Claire Hicks. I help musicians like Matthew Dewhurst and Joe Hastings and Lauren and especially like Matthew and Joe. It's like, you know, first of all, you need to get help. I've like spoke to them when I've been in a really bad place and maybe I can't pay my rent. Maybe I'm in a bad environment. They're like just really decent people. And it's like I've recommended a lot of friends, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't be too proud. It's like go and get help. So without them, the biggest achievement in my life was finishing my last EP because it took me five years and I won't compromise my music for, for anyone. So without them, I couldn't have got that far and I, I wouldn't have got this far in my life if it, if it wasn't for them. Second of all, you need to get a diagnosis and the diagnosis sort of determines then how you obviously recover from that. To get the right diagnosis took me ages and that that's the thing. It, it made me realise within that period that I'd actually seen really good practitioners. You know, I was sort of like expecting people to cure me, really, that cost a lot of money. And obviously that doesn't really happen. You need a lot of support. And, it, you know, that's the thing that I think is really important is that I regard myself as a lucky person because I met Michelle from Fierce Grace She's been an amazing support to me, but I'm also very lucky that I've had, like, you know, support from help musicians. I have great friends and I have family, and I've also, for my mental health, you know, I've gone to places like Mind, the mental health charity. I have, like, a decent GP. I still have moments when I need help. And the thing is, I think the most important thing I'd like to impress on people is that the start is getting help, you know, because that's the most important thing to not feel like you're on your own or try and do everything on your own. Obviously, you've had a really tricky time with the challenges that you've faced. But despite this, what's one thing that you love about your music career? I've loved connecting with people that are my friends. You know, I feel really grateful to have had those moments. But, you know, I'm always trying to push myself. You know, I've made my life pretty hard because of that because I never compromise my music or what I do on stage. I put myself under a lot of pressure, you know, to keep trying to do things that other people aren't doing. But I do still love, obviously, music, you know, it's, it's my life. This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that's been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare and creative funding opportunities, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. And now let's hear from Dr Sarah Upjohn. 
Since 2008, I've been working with musicians and I started working at the Purcell School for Young Musicians, which is one of the five specialist music schools in the UK. And I also started working for BAPAM, which is the British Association of Performing Arts Medicine. And now I run a physiotherapy clinic for them in central London about once a week. And I do a lot of teaching about musicians' well-being for them. You know, the two big things that I do are working with the young musicians and working with BAPAM. And I work with the National Children's Orchestra as well. So can you tell me a bit about that work with BAPAM? What are some of the common issues that you see? Usually with the orchestral musicians that we see, it's very often just overuse. The scheduling can sometimes be problematic in that they suddenly change repertoire and have to do a completely different style of playing or they're just doing too much or it's something about the posture. So the injuries that they tend to get are all soft tissue injuries, so usually muscles, sometimes tendons, sometimes nerves being trapped by tight muscles. And the wonderful thing is that most of the injuries that I see are, in fact, preventable. And what about pop musicians? I see a lot of student pop musicians. There are several pop courses in London and very often the student musicians in crunch years, so first year when they just started and suddenly increased playing time or in their third year as they're preparing for their final recital or performance as well as gigging a lot, it's overuse. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the pop musicians haven't had the intensity of training in technique that the classical musicians have had. So they may be more commonly perhaps the ones who've not had as many formal lessons about technique and that can make a big difference. And what about musicians like Chris, where we heard he didn't really have any formal education in this area? Do you see many musicians like that? Yes, (laughs) some... I think it may well be that nowadays there's actually more courses available for pop musicians than perhaps there was when Chris was younger. We do see them, again, it's an awful lot to do with their technique and a huge amount to do with overuse, just doing too much. So you said at the beginning that a lot of the issues are preventable. Can you tell me a bit more about that? There are some clearly identified from proper scientific research, clearly identified risk factors for playing-related injuries. And the risk factors are a sudden increase in playing time, changing of repertoire to something with a different technical demand from the one you have been doing, so there's just a change, stress and something to do with technique or the setup of the kit or the ergonomics or your posture. So it's something to do with the the way you're doing it is the fourth one. And I think that in all fairness, the two that I see most of are doing too much increasing playing time suddenly or something to do with technique or posture or setup of the kit. So how does it work if a musician's about to go on tour and a label has booked out a rehearsal studio and they're going to be rehearsing for an intense period and it's obviously changing the frequency with which they're practising? How does it work then? There's a huge amount that musicians can do and the obvious advice is that if musicians start thinking of themselves in the same way that athletes or dancers do, there's a lot of preventative work that they can do. So the week before going on tour is cutting it a bit fine, but in terms of general lifestyle, the things that can really help are literally increasing your levels of cardiovascular fitness. So just getting fitter 
increasing your strength. There's research to show that strength training for musicians makes a massive difference and they're talking about endurance training rather than sort of bulking up training and also increasing soft tissue flexibility. So those three things of preparing your body for physical work, which is what being a musician is... So getting fitter, getting stronger, getting more flexible, along with absolute attention to warming up before playing and stretching after playing. And so when musicians usually think of a warm up, they think in terms of maybe a few scales or whatever. But if we can get them to think of warming up off instrument, so warm up before tune up, warm up before you get your instrument out of the case in the same way that an athlete or a dancer would. And the whole point of warming up is that you literally get warmer. You increase your heart rate, you increase the blood flow to the muscles that are using the oxygen that comes in the blood. So um, essentially warming up really is helpful. And then stretching afterwards, stretching the muscles that have been held in quite shortened positions when you're playing. So afterwards, just get out of playing position. And in any break that you get, and we'd really recommend maybe playing for 50 or 55 minutes and then having a five minute break and what you do in that break. So stretching out, making sure you're well hydrated, maybe having a snack, all of the things that will keep your physical body well enough to play. So what would that warm up routine look like? Well, it can be as simple as walking briskly to the practice space. It can be as simple as trotting up and down a few flights of stairs. I have been known to get 160-odd members of the National Children's Orchestra warming up just by doing a minute of sitting to standing quickly. Sit, stand, sit, stand, sit, stand. So you don't have to get into your lycra and go to a gym. You can literally just get moving more. Can you tell me a bit about the work that you do with children? Why do you think it's important that we start prevention work that early? The whole point of just making everyone who has anything to do with these young musicians aware of what the risk factors are because it's really important to prevent injuries. The injuries that we see in this field range from inconvenient, to, you know, so you lose a few days playing, to career ending. When that's avoidable, I think it becomes an absolute priority to make everyone involved aware of what the risk factors are and helping the young musicians who are very keen to practice as much as possible very often, sometimes asking them to practice less, just keeping an overview of the amount they're doing and just trying to increase the awareness throughout the school of the importance of physical fitness and strength and conditioning and stretching and warming up before. It's exactly the same with the young musicians, only they need more help to do it or they need our help to do it because they're children. And so if a musician does develop issues like Chris did, what do you suggest that they do? If you are getting pain as a result of playing, the first thing I would suggest is stop playing for a bit. It's not likely to settle down if you carry on playing. So the first thing is to allow it to rest, try and identify why it's happened and allow it to rest and settle and then restart gradually. And you may just need three or four days off. If it persists, then there are lovely organisations like BAPAM, which is the British Association of Performing Arts Medicine, which run clinics all over the country now and are able to provide a free assessment to performing artists, not just musicians, performing artists, a free assessment with a clinician who has a particular interest and expertise and knowledge of what the issues of being a performing artist are. So, you know, getting an appointment with a BAPAM clinician is 
really useful. And there's a, as well as the clinics on the BAPAM website is a list of practitioners in a variety of fields, physios and doctors and osteopaths, etc., who are recognised by BAPAM as having you know, experience with performing artists. So I think getting help from somebody who has seen something similar before can be really helpful. I know Chris mentioned that when his physical issues were really quite difficult, he was also suffering from some mental challenges as well. Is that something that you see in your work? Hugely. Because being a musician is so a part of your, what it is, your identity, if something is interfering with your ability to play at the level that you want to or are usually able to, it can be enormously distressing. And we see high levels of anxiety and we see depression and it can be a very, very serious thing. The really good news again is that if you regularly exercise, that is a superb stress buster as well. So not only will being physically fit and exercising regularly make you less likely to get injured, if you are injured, it really helps you deal with the impact of that. BAPAM also has a number of psychologists and counsellors and therapists who will do talking therapies with performing artists who need it. So there's a statistic that Claire Cordeau from BAPAM uses about the prevalence of physical issues that performing artists face, and I can't quite remember it. Can you tell me what it is? Well, the research shows that something like between 70 and 85% of musicians will have a problem during their lifetime. It sounds like a broad figure, and it, it may be even slightly increased on that, but it, it sort of totally depends on when they're doing the research, how they define playing-related injury. But it is a consistently high number between the groups of musicians that they can do research on easily, which is orchestras, because they're a sort of cohort of people that you can easily do a survey on, conservatoire students, who are, again, a group of students who it's easy to capture in a survey, and the pre-conservatoire, the young musicians. So it doesn't matter, it seems, which group of musicians they've looked at, the figures are the same. And there hasn't really been, as far as I know, research looking at the incidents in jazz or pop. I think regardless of what the actual statistic is, it's still a shockingly high percentage, isn't it? It is particularly shocking given that it's preventable. And in any other field, if we were working with preventable something or the other, so in rugby, for example... Children don't do full contact rugby until a certain age. In ballet, girls don't go on point until a certain stage. You know, there are safeguards in place for risky activities. And it seems only sensible that we should be behaving in the same way towards musicians. What do you see is the next step as a result of that? I have been approached by many, many other groups, junior departments, several conservatoires, several youth orchestra groups nationally and locally and regionally. The county music hubs are all becoming aware that musicians' well-being is an important thing and really can't be ignored. You know, the, the whole looking after the children in our care elevates it to a position where really people are far more inclined to, once they know that it's risky to some extent and that the risks have been identified and that you can take steps to reduce the risks, they're realising that that's what they've got to do. So I think there's going to be more and more preventative work, more and more and more increasing awareness work. 
So hopefully it will start to filter down and we'll see it in the next generation of pop musicians. What I would really like, and I sort of said this many, many times, but never on a podcast, um, my absolute ideal would be that in the graded exams, and it doesn't matter if it's classical or rock school, that there is just one question, one grade appropriate question about musicians' well-being. You know, have they increased the music stand to the right height for them? Have, you know, could you show me a stretch after you finished your playing? Just something so that from the very get-go, it is just something that's taught. Because if it comes from the teachers, the children take much more notice than if it comes from the school nurse or the school physiotherapist. So what's next in terms of research, do you think? I don't know. There has been so much research about the incidence. We have clearly shown that it is a staggeringly high incidence across the board. People have not successfully published as much work by long shot about prevention. So I think that the next obvious step is to look at successful prevention strategies and how to implement them in different settings. Because the conservatoires at the moment, many of them are introducing musicians or have introduced and run musicians' well-being modules to varying degrees of input and varying degrees of them being compulsory or voluntary to attend to, you know, it, it's not consistent what is delivered yet is not consistent either in its quantity or its content. So I think that the next thing will probably be trying to just standardise what is taught you know, across the board. There being more guidelines about right, these are the key messages and this is when it's useful to deliver them. So Chris spoke about how hot yoga helped him. What other treatments or therapies can you recommend? In terms of hot yoga, I think that's absolutely brilliant and it clearly worked wonders for him. And I would view that as a sort of part of a musician's responsibility to himself to keep well or herself to keep well you know, under their own steam. So it's not so much a therapy in the same way that physiotherapy or osteopathy or chiropractic is. It's a really useful adjunct. And I think anything where you increase your own amount of activity or any of the things that increase posture awareness and movement. So any sort of yoga, Pilates, Alexander Technique, Feldenkrais, any of the movement disciplines would all be useful. In terms of therapy, as in sort of, in a way, medical therapy, you know, osteopathy, physiotherapy, they're all absolutely appropriate depending on what's wrong with you. Very often sports first aid advice, rest it, ice it, get back to playing when it stops hurting, you know, or, or, you know gentle stretches is the obvious way to go. Just start thinking of your body in the same way that an athlete does. So you've covered some of the topics already, but what advice would you give to a musician about how to look after their musculoskeletal health? Increasing your level of physical fitness will help you. Increasing your strength will help you. Getting more flexible will help you. If you run into difficulties, I think this is quite an interesting one. All sportsmen and dancers tend to go on having lessons throughout their career. I mean, if you look at you know, Andy Murray or someone, he's still having a coach. And yet musicians tend to get to the end of conservatoire and may not have lessons after that point. And it's easy to slip into bad habits without knowing what you're doing. And I think that there's, you know, a lot to be gained from every now and again having consultation lessons or, you know, getting a, a friend whose technique you trust to observe you and watch you and give advice or recording yourself and watching what you're actually doing. I think all of those things are really important. 
and, and again, you know, just the whole, if you were a sportsman, you'd have a whole team of people looking after you. And as a musician, you kind of have to carve those bits out for yourself wherever you can. Are there any organisations across the country that are providing a really good model of support overall? The Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra is doing lovely, lovely work looking after its musicians. That's the one I will flag up as the one that I know about that is the most on top of looking after its musicians. They do provide membership to a gym for their orchestral players. They provide a massage therapist who is available between rehearsals and concerts. They take a massage therapist on tour with them. Things like this. They're very good with their scheduling and so that everyone gets a break over the summer. So they've sort of, in the same way that a soccer team would know, you know, the whole season when the matches are, when the busy times are, when the quieter times are. And it's important to build in rest and recovery time into any schedule because that's when bodies literally do recover. I'm sure that others do. It's just that I don't know about it. But I do know that the Royal Liverpool Phil is, is building in some really good strategies to look after its players. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode by Chris and Sarah, you'll find links and signposts to all the appropriate services in the podcast description. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can get in touch with us on social media at Elevate Music Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen in partnership with Help Musicians. Thanks for listening and see you next time.